You know, it's step 11 of the 12 steps and Hanukkah teach us. It's the wildest thing. They teach us that when we're at our lowest and we get a little bit of a break, a little bit of an opening for spiritual light, that's when we need to seek for the highest. We can't settle for anything less. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey, Consciously, welcome back. It's Menachem Poznanski. It's great to be with you. Uh, for those who are listening to this, um, this week, happy Hanukkah. If you listen to it later, um, happy Hanukkah too. Um, so what's the connection between Hanukkah and the 11th step of the 12-step program of recovery, uh, you're about to find out. But first, before we get there, um, I want to invite anyone who's new or a chronic procrastinator to uh, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review. Uh, it really helps us out. More importantly, share us with your friends. The best way to get the good word out is word of mouth between good friends. Make sure to take a look at The Light Revealed on Instagram and Facebook. We have a great series I think, on Hanukkah, uh, each night of Hanukkah, releasing uh, like a reflection uh, for the night that relates to the amount of candles and what that symbolizes. I think you'll find that you like it. So check that out. Also, great gift, Consciously, Six Steps to Living Vibrantly, Our Creator, or uh, Stepping Out of the Abyss, A Jewish Guide to the Twelve Steps. Last piece of business, uh, you want to reach out with questions, you can reach us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com. Love interacting and uh, love questions. They are more important than answers. Okay, so it's the end of November, which is the end of the 11th month on the Gregorian calendar, which means we're up to our Step 11 episode, and it also happens to be Hanukkah, and that challenged me to think in a really different way about the 11th step. I think in a way that I haven't really thought about it before, so I'm really excited to share this with you. Anyway, so the... The 11th step is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Going back to that description that we talked about in step three, uh, which is a past tense acknowledgement, as if the authors of the steps are saying, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him in the past, and now that we understand him differently, we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with our new understanding, meaning because our comprehension or conception of God is constantly evolving as we grow, but our current conception is sufficient. Anyways, the step moves on and says, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Now, that's a part of the step that people, Jewish people, um, sometimes like uh, teachers or advisors, mashpim of people in recovery, have often brought up this point to try to draw a conflict with the way in which Judaism looks at prayer, let's say, and the way that the recovery programs look at prayer. Because in Judaism, a major component and facet of our prayers is the fact that we pray for things, for things that we need. Um, we believe that God is invested in every aspect of our lives. And in fact, the Svaramakadoshim explained that when we pray for things that we need, we're actually creating pathways through which divine shefa, divine radiance comes into the world that not only benefits us, but benefits others as well. So prayer for things, the things that we want is critically important. And here, the step 11 tells us that you're not allowed to pray for things that we want. We only pray for, for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So what do we do? Is there truly a conflict? 
course. As always is the case, these conflicts, the outcomes of confusion and a lack of context into what the steps are talking about, oftentimes those individuals haven't necessarily studied the texts and have really just and looked at programs of recovery through the lens of their historical context and their evolution, and therefore they get confused. So the question that emerges, okay, so what do they actually mean? So through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Now, it's important to, to acknowledge, and it's kind of a side point, it's not related directly to how the 11th step is deeply connected to Hanukkah, but the idea of utilizing prayer and meditation is, A, obviously a very Jewish idea, abundantly obvious as relates Chabad and Breslov Hasidus with the focus on his Hisbonenos and his Hisbodidos, both which are very Jewish ideas that the Rabbi Nachman and the Alter Rebbe put a primary focus on. But nonetheless, prayer and meditation is the utilization of conceptual reflections along with verbal discussion or talking to God in order to enhance our conscious contact, which in Judaism we call kirvas elokim. So that's obviously a very Jewish idea, but what's really important to acknowledge and to highlight is that when the steps, when the 11th step talks about prayer and meditation, it is specifically the utilization of prayer and meditation as collaborative tools that are meant to effectuate an outcome. Right, so it's really important to remember that we are in the middle in the 12 steps, or when you're working the 12 steps, and we've discussed this before, the 12 steps are both an operation, right? They work in order from 1 through 12. 12 has a result. We'll talk about that next week. Having had a, a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, there's meant to be a spiritual awakening from working the 12 steps, but the 12 steps are also independent spiritual exercises and principles that can be practiced in and of themselves, not in a direct progression and program, right? So I could work the steps in order, right? Which is very important, very critical. That's how they work. That's the the novelty of them, the novelty of the steps, the ability of the steps to effectuate a spiritual awakening for the person that practices them in an authentic manner, meaning in order, with guidance and advice from someone who's done, who's been through them before. So step 11, and then there are also those kind of independent practices that a person can bring into, where the, into their lives, which we'll discuss again, like I said, next week, where it talks about practicing these principles in all our affairs, which means utilizing the principles that have been utilized in this progression and process of change and trying to see where we can bring them into all the areas of their of our lives. So it's important in context to realize that the utilization of prayer and meditation together, meaning meditating and then praying about what you meditate, or praying and then meditating what you prayed about, is a critical component that allows a person to achieve the spiritual awakening that people, that we as human beings, as spiritually minded, growth-oriented people are looking for. Then once we build this vibrant relationship with prayer and meditation, we can utilize prayer and we can utilize meditation or directed reflection to really enhance our lives, or we can use them together as this powerful tool, which is step 11. And what that kind of looks like is taking a moment to really conceptualize and think about, let's say, for example, what my day is going to look like or what I'm grateful about and sitting in that, sitting quietly in that, and then praying about whatever comes up discussing those aspects with God. Or, in another way that it's presented in the A literature, taking something that is a prayer, kind of like a liturgical prayer, like something that's like in a sitter, let's say, and really deeply meditating on that piece of prayer and then praying about it, right? So when you combine those two things, it has this fantastical result, especially 
when the reason why I'm doing it is specifically in order to engender and foster this sense of conscious contact, which means a consciousness of the contact that exists already, which we talk about in the book Consciously. Shameless plug. But on a serious note, that was one of the reasons we wrote the the book, because I discovered that in the Sefer Bavavi Mishkanevna, Itamar Schwartz lays out a really clear plan for developing conscious contact with our Creator and utilizing both prayer and meditation, guided reflection, to effectuate that conscious contact and then foster it and grow it. That's why I wrote the book, because I was excited about it and I wanted to share it with other people that might not have access to Bilvavi Mishkanevna. But what about the separate part? What about praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out? And is that Jewish? Is it kosher? So as I said earlier, it's really important to kind of take that prayer into context. And as you study the texts of recovery, what you find is that the reason why they encourage the practitioner of the 12 steps to pray only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out is because they really mean it, again, as part of that progression and process and exercise leading towards a spiritual awakening as a tool that's meant to strip away the kind of self-centeredness that people who feel spiritually unwell oftentimes find themselves in. As we've discussed in the podcast before, oftentimes when you are in pain, you are all you can think about. And the steps give us many, many tools in order to help us to step outside of ourselves. It's, it's important to highlight that even the truth is that most people that are addicted at some level were seeking to get out of themselves because what they really wanted was the kind of serenity that they found that they find in the 12 steps and in the rooms of recovery, right? The whole time, even when they were drinking or acting out in all sorts of wild and crazy ways. That was the insight of Carl Jung, if we go back to some of the earlier episodes. So the steps are crafted in such a way that they try to help the practitioner to disengage from the obsession that they find themselves in with themselves and begin to think of other people. And the way that they do that is by specifically focusing in their prayers, where they're asking for things, on an awareness of what God's will is and having the power to carry out that will without getting lost in their own selfish means. Not because it's bad to pray for things, not that it's bad to pray for other people to have things, but that in the process of recovery, it is often unuseful for an individual in recovery to get very lost in praying for what he feels or she feels would be the best. Meaning, if God would just manifest this solution to my problems, then everything would be okay. So in order to disengage from that, it's like, God, I don't have any opinion about what the solution to that problem is. Give me money. Don't give me money. Make this, give me a spouse. Don't give me a spouse. Whatever that is, I can't get lost in that because that takes me away. Not that it's not an appropriate way to pray, but it doesn't help work for me. So therefore, I'm going to disengage from that. I'm going to trust in you and throw my life into your hands. So it's an act of bittal. Sacrifice and surrender that's discussed in the uh, books of spiritual Judaism. So what we find here is something very powerful, though. And this is where Hanukkah starts to come in, is that the crafters of the steps and the practitioners of the steps acknowledge that they tend to be or end up very connected to self. And therefore, in an effort to dislodge themselves from their self-obsession, from their inability to think of anything but themselves, they move away towards a prayer that's actually much, much higher. You know, I've commented before on the podcast about this famous prayer that's brought down in the Hayom Yom 
in the teachings of Chabad Hasidus, the Rebbe brought down in the Yom a famous story that Semach Tzedek would tell over that his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, when he was under the Talas, uh, during Berchus Kohanim, would pray to God and say, God, I don't want your Gan Eden Elyon, I don't want your Gan Eden Tachton, I don't want all your worlds above, all the, the heaven and the heavens that are above, all I want is you, right? So this idea of praying only for God, stripping away any intention or any desire for things, for practical realities, while praying for practical realities is an important component of Judaism, stripping away my opinion about what I should get is also a very, very powerful thing, and it's, an, it's a prayer of Bittel. So in the interests, in the 12 steps, and the practitioners of the 12 steps to tr- to try to step away from their self-centeredness, what they do is they end up practicing a very high level of prayer, a prayer of bittal, a prayer of self-sacrifice and surrender, a prayer of complete abandonment of my agenda to only make myself a merkava, a channel of God's light, lahavdil, to make a separation between that which is holy and that which is normative. And you find something very interesting that plays out here in Hanukkah as well. Rabbi Nachman explains that Hanukkah is the essence of hodah, of gratitude. In fact, that he, he talks about a, a mimer in Chazal, Chazal state that when Mashiach comes, when the ultimate redemption comes, that the only korbanos, the only sacrifices, will be the korban toda, the thanks offering. And Rabbi Nachman explains that this is the highest level of human God connection, is this hodah, Korban Toda that occurs, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate Geula, it's Olam Haba, it's the world to come, and this is the essence of what Hanukkah is. It's just the the stripped away lack of ego saying, I am so fortunate to be here. Now, one of the things we learn about Hanukkah is something very powerful, which is the Matisyahu, the Chashmonaim, Matisyahu was the Kohen Gadol and his sons battled against the the Hellenists, and they took back the Beis HaMikdash. They defeated them in the war, and they come in, and all the oil jugs are impure. Now, according to Jewish law, they could have used the impure oil that they found. There would be nothing wrong with them using the impure oil that they found until they could find, until they could process new pure oil, in spite of the fact that in the Beis HaMikdash we only use pure items, and in fact the entire Beis HaMikdash itself was depurified. They were bringing idols, they were doing idol worship in the Beis HaMikdash, so the fact that they would be burning impure oil was hardly their biggest problem, and yet the Chashmonaim and the Jewish people said, no, we're not going to, light. we want to light the menorah with, they were desperate um, to light the menorah with pure oil. And the commentators discussed this, well, what was the big deal? And one of the ideas that comes across, particularly through the streams of Panimiyas Torah, is that in the state that they were in, the Chashmonayim and the Jewish people, having been for so long under the dominion of the Hellenists, the, the Greek Hellenists, who had damaged to such a strong degree Jewish spirituality and were promoting a kind of very materialist outlook on life, the sages, the, the tzaddikim, understood that the Jewish people needed a higher level of service, something that was even higher than what was necessary. So they search and they search and they search and they find one jug of oil that still has the seal of the coin guddles. They know that it's pure and they write, they light that oil and it lasts for eight days and that's why we light the Hanukkah menorah. Now what's interesting about the story is that if they had not found the Pach Shemen, the small jug of oil, they would have gone forward with the impure oil until they could find pure oil. So what's the big deal? 
Meaning, what's the big deal that they went to look for the impure oil, the pure oil they were desperate to find? They found it, and then the oil lasted for eight days. Why does God even make that miracle? Why is it such a significant thing? And one of the answers that you found, find is that it was exactly because of how depraved or disconnected the Jew, Jewish people had become and how much they were lost in a kind of materialist outlook on the world that the the Jewish people understood that they desperately needed the highest level of purity. That sometimes when a person is down to nothing, it seems like they should just settle for less. They should just settle, just like, just settle for being a good person. Why are you striving to be higher, to be something greater? Why are you striving for pure oil? Just use the impure oil. In fact, Hanukkah, the commentators teach, is unique in that there's an idea of mahadrin mina mahadrin. There's a, a doubly good way to light. That Not only do we light one candle for every house, we light eight candles with right, adding one candle each day, but then even more so that every person in the house lights. That's mahadrin mina mahadrin, right? Which is not really a Jewish thing, you know? They don't have, you have an esrog, which is hidor, right? It's beautiful. There's an idea of getting a beautiful esrog, but there's no mahadrin mina mahadrin esrog, right? There's just more and more beautiful esrogim. Here you have where the basic mitzvah and the way in which it's practiced really across the board in Judaism is this idea of mahadrin mina mahadrin, which is like especially most special. Why are we getting so busy with most special, right? Especially when the whole idea of Hanukkah is it's the last holiday in our history before the exile. It was at a time when there were no open miracles in the Beis HaMikdash. There was no prophecy in the base of this prophecy had led the Jewish people. We were very much in a diminished status. We weren't even, didn't really even have control of our own country. One of the novelties of Hanukkah is that the Hashemunayim basically kind of established their own kingdom, but even that was complicated. Previous to that, we were a vassal state. We were connected to the Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire, etc., etc. And Hanukkah occurs at the time of the year where the Days are shortest and the nights are longest. They're dark. We actually light the Hanukkah menorah specifically when it's dark. We light it beneath tent fachim, lower to the ground. We, it's ideal to light it lower to the ground, right? In order to demonstrate the fact that God's presence is available in every space. So the whole idea of Hanukkah is this idea of us, of, of how low sometimes we find ourselves. Now, even in those spaces, we can find light. So what's the connection between this Pach Shemen? And here's the beauty, and here's the connection to the 11th step. It's in fact when the person is most down to nothing that they need to strive for the highest space. It's at that 11th step where a person's making the effort to just try to emerge out from the desolation that he, that he or she has made in their lives, and they've done a little bit of amends, and they've experienced a little bit of spiritual high, but mind you, the, the normative person who's working the 12 steps is somebody whose life is still very, very, very troubled. They still have a very long way to go, and they're desperate for a spiritual awakening to make a change so they can transform themselves and their lives. And in that space, the only prayer that we'll do is praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Because we need to be free of our self-centeredness. And because in the lowest state, you need the highest prayer. When you're down to nothing, that's when you need to reach up as high as you possibly can for the support, the love, and the care of the highest power. To do everything you can to find that Pach Shem and that little jug of oil of p totally pure light that's still embedded deep in your soul. And it is that seeking that opens the door for the spiritual awakening that will mean a life of practicing spiritual principles everywhere. And the Chashmanayim knew that, 
And the crafters of the 12 steps stumbled upon that. And we today get to practice that. So when we sit there in front of our Hanukkah menorah and we just stare into the light, not getting lost in the gleam and the sparkle of the fire, but the fire represents that place in our hearts, that Pach Shemen, that pure place inside of us that's totally connected to God. We can remember and be grateful that even in the darkest space, and maybe even specifically in the darkest space, that's where you find the highest light. Chag Sameach, a happy Chanukah, Freilich and Chanukah, a lichtige Chanukah, a Chanukah full of light for you and everyone you love and everyone you'll share with someday. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tzipora Basravaro. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Oh,